when you get to see how the rest of the world lives and you get to experience it, there's no amount of talking about it that's going to have the same impact. Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everybody, to the Generous Business Owner Podcast. My name is Jeff Thomas, one of the co-hosts, and uh, we have a very special guest for you this week, a person whose last name you might recognize, which is Rutt, but it's not Jeff Rutt, one of the co-hosts, it is Ben Rutt, his son. Ben, welcome to the program. Jeff, it's an honor to be here. Thank you very much. Well, Ben is in the family business, the home building business. He is the uh, VP of sales and marketing at Keystone Custom Homes. And, you know, obviously he is the next generation in this business. Uh, his parents gave away the company. He, one of the questions we get a lot from uh, the few people that we know that have given away most of it is, what do the kids think about that? So we will cover that today. But Ben really has his own story as well. So let's get into that and we'll kind of follow the same format we always follow, Ben. Why don't you just tell us about uh, where you grew up, what life was like growing up, where you are in the birth order, that sort of thing. Yeah, sure thing. I grew up with son of God-fearing, God-loving Christian parents. I have two sisters, one older, one younger. I grew up in a small farm in uh, southern Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and we had a, I had a unique childhood, had lots of opportunities and a lot of hard work and got the opportunity to mix those two things together. And I feel very blessed and fortunate because of that. We got a chance to travel a lot to see the work that Hope International was doing around the world, even the genesis of Hope before that, uh, going to Cartagena, Colombia to see early pioneers looking at uh, microfinance and what that could look like, going to Ukraine and meeting people there. And it gave me this worldview that you know I could see that was not uh, so isolated or insulated, really see what the rest, I got to see what the rest of the world really looked like. And then at home, my uh, parents, my dad really believed in the value of hard work. And we worked hard. I worked hard as a kid and at about 10 years old, I started a mowing business. Uh, a lot of people hear that and they think, oh, it's mowing, you know, the neighbor's lawn, maybe my own lawn. I no, I had a um, mower that I bought, had guys that hired off a of Craigslist working for me. I had to fire one of them when I was 12. My mom drove me there to, uh, <laughs> drove me to meet a guy that was about, you know, three or four times my size. I think he was a bodybuilder and he was quite disappointed that I had to let him go. But you know, grew that business in multiple machines. You know, it was uh, an interesting time, but it taught me value of hard work. It taught me business lessons uh, as well. Yeah. Uh, that that's amazing. I was gonna ask, okay, so in the timeline here, mm -hmm. what year did Hope start? Uh nineteen ninety seven. What year? Ninety seven. Okay. So where is that in your timeline? How old were you when that happened? Yeah, so I was eight when okay. Hope started. So I got to really see that genesis of it wasn't fully birthed at the time that I was cognizant of what was going on. And even in those early days, it's not like Hope today. 
Yeah, Hope has unlocked $1.7 billion uh, to be given in small loans to uh, millions of clients around the world. But at that time, it was a few people in Ukraine. And it was a crazy idea that no one was quite sure if it was going to work, but it's kind of willed uh, to success. So we got to see that sitting around, you know, the dinner table talking about, you know, real life, what was, what was happening there with hope. Yeah. And for those that maybe we've got a lot of new listeners. So for those who don't know the backstory on hope, we'll put a link to the show notes. Uh, but as a Christian microfinance nonprofit that, uh, uh, the rep family helped start. So, okay. So take us through, okay. So you're doing the mowing business, you're growing up. I mean, obviously your dad <laughs> was raised on a dairy farm. Uh, so that's, you know, he always jokes that uh, you got into an easier business was the home building business. Uh, was I assume that was also going on while you were a kid. What was the, what did you know about home building or what your folks business was? Like? Yeah. So there's a couple of assumptions that are always made with family businesses. And one of the assumptions is that there is a kind of this predestined idea of where you're going to go, right? Uh, saying, Hey, and almost this familial pressure. And I will say it was almost the opposite. Now, it, that, this was not just like dad's thing that he's all over on his own. Like we were engaged. We knew what was going on. We were there at the office. I was doing my homework in, in the office. You know, I yeah. knew what was, what was happening in the business, but there was zero pressure to join the business and, you know, probably pushing to do something else, to be able to get experience elsewhere, et cetera. But yeah, as I was, I was growing up and I think you're talking about a little bit on the, the testimony I had, I was in high school, I had a experience that happened to me that I think is a kind of life shaping is I was in a severe car accident when I was 17 and I flipped my car over three times, sheared off a telephone pole, laid it on the roof. And uh, fortunately through it, I was wearing my seatbelt and I was you know, protected. And, you know, I came away from that experience really feeling like, man, I was saved for a purpose and, you know, I was living a lukewarm life and then being able to say, Hey, there's purpose for me. There's a reason that I'm living on this earth and I want to make sure that I'm making the best use of it. But yeah, I went to, went to college and I started a, I couldn't mow their college, but I started a book business where I sold, bought used books and, you know, I was paying a good portion of my way through college. And I bought about 10,000 books from a used library sale and uh, combed through all of them, listed them on uh, Amazon and some of the other uh, book places that you could sell used books at the time. And uh, it was a, it was an interesting experience. Again, this, you know, entrepreneurial yeah. spirit that was stoked and developed in me to be able to you know, make it work and will it to success. And yeah, you know, there's a fascinating experience that I w had gone through. I think my parents' uh, home had books stacked floor to ceiling through every hallway. <laughs> and uh, you know what's really interesting about this, I think there is a preconceived notion that if your parents are running a successful business, that they maybe create you know, money for the kids or whatever, where they don't really have to work that much as kids. What was that sort of attitude in your house or, or was the business just kind of starting? I mean, you know, what, what were your perceptions of how 
the level of success of the business, and what was the communication from your parents about you got to make it yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. We the business was extremely successful, so business was extremely. And you knew this, and well, kind of looking back, I understand it a little <laughs> yeah. bit more, right? Yeah. Uh, but at the time, we lived like anybody else, probably less than of my friend group. Yeah, we lived a lot more frugally than you know anybody I interacted with. Now we had experiences where we traveled around the yeah. world, seeing the work of hope. So. That was a unique opportunity that that we had, but we didn't live. Yeah, we lived frugally, and I was blessed be blessed because of that. But you know, as I was growing up and you know, kind of reflecting back on that, I think I, had, you know, I was was not given much or of anything financially, and I remember trying to you know swipe my credit card for putting gas in my car, and it was always a question if it was going to be enough. Or, you know, because they would, I think they would set, no matter how much gas you're getting, they would say like, hey, it's going to be a $50 charge in the card. And I was like, it was always going to be close, whether I had that in my bank account or not. Uh, so I understood what it meant to live frugally. And I got to experience that. And I feel like that was just a real blessing for me. Okay. I have to ask, because now this question is going to come to you in, in a few years. Okay. When your oldest hits 16. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I, I have to ask these two specific questions, if you don't mind. Sure. What did your parents tell you? By the way, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to this question for everybody lives. Okay. So with zero judgment. I'm frankly just curious. What did your parents say when you were 16? I'm sure you're like, I want a car, right? You're kind of out in the country anyway, right? A lot of country roads and stuff. You're, you're running this little probably mowing business and stuff. What was that conversation like? Yeah, it, it's interesting. There was zero expectation that I had that I would be given right. a car, right? Or even given some money to help pay for a car. There was zero expectation. Yeah. My parents helped pay for the insurance. My parents paid for the insurance and I paid, you know, for the car and the but you bought the car. 100%. I bought the car a hundred percent. You had like the money. mowing business money? Exactly. From the mowing business. And it meant something to me yeah. as it was my car. That's, that's true. Okay, well, uh, yeah. Like the insurance file, that's the, okay. And then what was the conversation like when you're looking at colleges and you're talking finances, who's going to pay for what? What was that conversation like? Yeah. So my grandpa, my dad's dad had set up this awesome program where he had said, I will pay for a third of your college. If your parents pay for a third and you pay for a third, if you get a scholarship or if you get some sort of, you know, something else that could help with your portion, right? But I'll pay a third, you pay a third. And there was a few other considerations or constraints with that, but it, it made college affordable and accessible while still giving you the opportunity to say, when you pay for it yourself, it means something more. And I could certainly look around and see, you could tell that people that their parents were paying 100% of the way because there's just not that intrinsic motivation. It doesn't mean as much. Yeah. Okay. So you're paying for a third. Mm -hmm. Where did you choose to go? Yeah. So I went to uh, Taylor University in Indiana. It's in the middle of cornfields in Indiana, small school, great school. And I was... Uh, I started dating my now wife about two and a half weeks before I moved 10 hours away to 
Indiana, and she was going to school in Pennsylvania. And so I was traveling back and forth a good bit and you know, having a you know, long-distance relationship that was so early on. And after a year of putting a lot of miles on my Jetta, I uh, had decided to, I, I told my parents that, you know, she was going to Messiah College and Messiah is a great school, very good academically. And frankly, probably not a school I could have gotten into out of high school. Uh, I told my parents all the benefits academically of Messiah, all of the benefits academically. I did put in like a little side note. This is also where Becca goes to school. That was like maybe point ten, and uh, my parents, of course, saw right through right through that. <laughs> but I did, you know, I was able to do that. Transfer to Messiah. I'd taken some um, college credits, AP credits, etc. I was not a fantastic student, not a great student. I knew where I wanted to go into the business world. That's the stuff I was studying and reading. All of the business books, not the chemistry stuff, not you know, the other genets. And uh, so I did some call or did some summer courses online to be able to get through school faster. So I ended up graduating in three years. Gotcha. Okay. And then was Becca behind you? She was, she graduated with me same time. With you. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So what was the next step? Did you guys get married right out of school or? Yeah, right out of college, a few months later, we got married August that year, you know, shortly after we graduated, and I started selling real estate. In fact, I had gotten my license uh, to sell real estate while I was in high school. And uh, when I was in college, I started, I was on a fast track program academically, so I did a lot of credits I was taking, but I, through that last year, I started selling real estate on the side as well. I was doing open houses on the weekends. And I uh, started working with folks uh, then uh, who looked at me like I was, you know, a kid, of course. And when I was able to kind of figure out how to juggle all of that at the same time, because there was no, there's no base salary. It's all based on commission. And so that puts a lot of pressure on coming out of school, getting married, and how are you going to support yourself financially? And for our parents, it was important for us to say, you need to be working somewhere else, be successful, at least for two years coming out of school. What did Becca think about this uh, commission-only husband of hers? That was, you know, it added a lot of uh, pressure to, uh, you know, to a young marriage. You know, talk about, you know, what is the number one thing that causes stress in marriage? And, you know, it's money. Right? Money. And, uh, but boy, I was motivated I was motivated to make it work and um, wanted to, I was talking about the businesses and about hope before, about willing it to success. And I saw how that worked and I certainly felt that same way about selling real estate as well. But you already had, you know, it's funny, as I think about it, you already had this muscle built of the entrepreneurial muscle where, you know, even as a kid in high school and middle school, you're doing this stuff. So like- it's not like you had a salary doing that. I know you had a place of, you know, food and a shelter and clothing or whatever, but I mean, not the same pressure as being married right out of college, but, and then the book business, the real estate you were doing. So it seems like you had some confidence in your ability to, you know, generate business and be an entrepreneur, but uh, not many people can do that right off the bat. I mean, did, did you feel like you had some of that muscle? Did Were you leaning on some of that? Yeah. And 
I mean, I think that there's also this intrinsic, you know, when you're whatever, 21, 22 years old, you have not been told by, like, you have not listened to the world yet. Fearless. Yeah, yeah. And you're fearless. And uh, so I was definitely uh, confident there, but I started selling real estate in 2010. And if you remember, there was an, yeah. there was a tax credit at that point to, you know, $8,000 tax credit. I started selling real estate full-time, I believe the week that that tax credit expired. So all of the people that were going to buy a home over the next year already bought one. I can get $8,000 to buy a home, I better buy it now. And as soon as that expired, the market just died. And so I went into this saying, all right, I got to make this work. And yeah, there's, yeah, the market's dead. And so, but I looked around my office and I looked at all the other agents and they had come through a different time and they were not nearly as motivated as I was. And I looked at it and said, hey, there's buyers and sellers every day. Is there less than it was before? Absolutely. But if I can get my fair share, I can make this work. And I might be younger than everyone else. I might not know as much, but no one is going to work harder than me to make it successful. All right. So you get into it. And and I assume, are you back in Pennsylvania at this point, right? Are you down in Castor? Is that where you yep. work? Yep. Okay. So you're so how long does this go on? So obviously you were able to eat, right? You didn't have to go. It worked. Right? So talk, maybe talk about the fruit of what came out of that. So yeah, that first year is just rough. And it, any business like that, until you kind of get some sort of kind of this book of business going, right? Your clients that are referring you, et cetera, it's just rough going. But by the second year, I had a whole niche that I was working with, investor clients, getting referrals. And I had so much business, I was referring it elsewhere. By that second or third year, it was extremely successful. I was very blessed by that. And yeah, but I was looking at this and saying, all right, I love doing it. I love working you know, as a realtor, but I'm looking for something more. I want to work as part of a team. I want to be you know, in a situation where I can make a broader impact than just a, you know, this one person business. And I started talking with dad about coming on to Keystone. And again, referring back to previous conversation about family businesses, I initiated that conversation. Yeah. Okay. I'm saying, I'm asking dad, Hey, I'm thinking about this. Hey, I'd love to do it. And he's hesitant about like, I don't know that adds a different dynamic to relationships, to the business, but we ended up, I did come on and I had interviewed actually for a position, small side note. I interviewed, uh, I got my degree in marketing. I interviewed for a marketing position, uh, entry level position. And I ended up getting turned down for the role. I got rejected for the first role I applied for at Keystone. And wow. yeah, but I got a sales, a few months later, I got a sales job and I'm starting at the, you know, the little man on the totem pole. And, you know, having to start it, everything from the very beginning, but I was blessed by that because I was able to see how it works, not from the top, but from, you know, from the bottom and seeing how the organization works and, uh, ended up working in multiple different positions around the company across different functional roles to be able to understand, you know, at a, how, how the business really works, uh, from the ground level. Yeah. That's so interesting. The. So you get this sales job. I mean, what percentage of that job was commission? Was it? It had a small base 
And I thought, what do you, you know, 80% of your expectation is going to be on the, on commission. Well, this what's so interesting to me about that is the numbers don't lie. Yeah. Yeah. So if you had failed at that job, that, yeah. would, you know what I mean? It's not like the cushy job that the son of the founder is maybe expected to get. So then there's clearly a lack of entitlement. <laughs> yeah. I, they, and they put me in the worst situation. They're the previous. The previous person had sold six homes the whole previous year, right? right? And for 12 months, he had sold six homes. I ended up selling about 25 homes over the next eight or 10 months. And, but it, with no, nothing else had changed, but it was an opportunity that I had gotten to be able to prove myself, to be able to say, I'm not, was not handed something. You're not handed this cushy job as you referenced. Um, but yeah, the numbers don't lie. So I think one thing that, I find interesting is you have this entrepreneurial gene yourself, okay, and drive. And unquestionably, you could have gone on your own entrepreneurial journey. And uh, I've talked to other people who have entered a family business. And I think one of the just facts that you have to deal with is the shadow of your father who founded the business. How did you deal with that? And how do you still deal with that? It evolves over time. And as I'm growing, as he's growing, as we're you know, changing, as we're talking about that. And I think the communication in a family business is so important. As we've talked with, you know, benchmark with other family businesses, where it breaks down is that they don't communicate either to father, son, mother, son, mother, daughter, whatever it might be, is they don't communicate. Uh, back and forth and dad, you know, from when we were kids, too young to even understand what was happening. We were having family meetings of, you know, bringing in the business advisor. Here's what's happening with the business. Here's what's happening financially. Here's what's happening relationally. And let's work through, uh, through issues. And I really appreciate how open that has been to that. And I've always viewed it. I'm not trying to be a second rate Jeff Rudd. I'm trying to be a First class Ben Rudd. I'm trying to be my own, the best person that I can be, not a poor imitation of someone else. And we've got the same genes. So there's a lot of stuff that we kind of, you know, see we are similar or alike on. There's things that we don't see eye to eye on, but we've been fortunate to be able to have the ability to communicate well on those things in a way that it does not always work well for all family businesses. I think that's just so key. I mean, communication, as we were talking about before we started recording, you know, as we see that in the businesses that, that we advise Arcus, it's, it's uh, you know, why does the money disappear by the third generation? It's always 90 plus percent of the time communication. It's not the X's and O's of structure. You got to get that stuff right, but it's always a lack of communication. So I, I think it's beautiful that you have that communication. All right. So how many years have you been at Keystone now? Uh, just about 10 years. 10 years. Okay. That's a, that's a good while. And a few years back, uh, your folks decided to give away 89% of the business to their foundation. We were talking again before we started reporting today about how that's not normal. By the number of kids you have, and that's how you're supposed to distribute it as uh, equal percentage to each of them. So tell us about that transaction sort of uh, how were you involved or not involved and in, in all of those kind of things? 
Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting. I I get this question from people, even people in the business that yeah. say, uh, I think when we announced this to the company back in 2019, we allowed an anonymous survey uh, to like kind of pop up on the screen and that had read through the questions. And one of the first questions is, what does Ben think? Right. And so it's, it makes me laugh a little bit because I don't, when you look at it in just pure isolation, it, it makes sense. But like seeing the broader picture, like understanding a little bit more of the context, this doesn't feel like something that was taken away from me. It's not like that I ever for even a second had the expectation that I was going to be just given the business, right? You know, just given that either both with the, because we view these hats differently, the, the ownership and the management, but neither one that I feel like I was going to be given, neither the management nor the ownership. And so when this idea had come up and I think my sister actually had initially sent the video from Alan Barnhart. Uh, my sister, yeah. Lisa had sent a video from Alan Barnhart and him talking about his engagement with the National Christian Foundation and dad had started looking at that. I started looking at that and uh, we had a, a talk about it and he had, he asked me and I said, Hey, let me, let me, he said, take some time to consider it. And I went back home. I talked to Becca, you know, we sat around and you know, honestly, it was just a clarifying moment for us to be able to say, this is a way we've been thinking, but now we're putting in a paper of like, we are not here on earth to build wealth for ourselves. And we are not trying to, you know, enrich ourselves in that way is we want to be able to make an impact. And this is a way that we saw, and we are just so grateful, so thankful that we got the opportunity to participate in this with the National Christian Foundation unlocking this opportunity for us. And uh, it was kind of a milestone event for us putting it on paper, but nothing changed in the way that we've operated since, you know, since day one. I really, man, I love that picture you painted of you being asked by your dad to go think about it and going home to talk to your wife. Like, okay. Like that, that's just like, I can, like, I can imagine you guys like at the kitchen table having this conversation. Like we've said all these things. Yes. Right. Are we going to kind of literally put the family money where our mouths collectively are? Right. We talk about, we remember we were talking about papering the truth, right? Are we mm -hmm. different when it, the pen strokes the paper yeah the thing is not coming to you right so 89 percent was given to the national christian foundation trust and all of that and so when the stakes are high yeah when the stakes are high what are you you know are you going to do the thing that you've preached are you going to do the thing that you say that you believe in and but i don't know i don't want to be so self-congratulatory i don't no, I do it like that big of a deal i feel like we have said that we're just stewards and all we are doing is living that out. And I think Alan Barnhart has just been such an inspiration for me and for dad of thinking and it's something that he has you know, talked about is, hey, we're not living like paupers here. It's not like we're like living just hand to mouth. Just we are, we've given away this huge company, but it was never ours to begin with, right? This was God's and all we are doing is saying, telling Uncle Sam the same thing and that we can never 
you were putting on paper, we can never pull that out personally for ourselves. And dad has this thing talking about no jet for Jeff. He's, he's talking about he can't pull out the money from the company to buy himself a jet. But it's it's a, a fun way of, of saying that we've committed to what we believe in. But it's also unlocked from a business side. It's unlocked a lot of dollars for the business that were previously going to taxes as well. And I, I don't think that that can be, I think that needs to be part of the consideration as well. It would not happen at all if we did not believe in the generosity portion of it. You wouldn't do it just for taxes, but it's got this secondary benefit that, hey, now that the IRS knows that I'm never going to pull this out personally, I'm able to get a much more preferential tax rate as well which is helping grow our business, which is helping unlock more dollars that we can uh, give away. And just so people know, we're not going to do a master tax class here, but you know, the National Christian Trust Company does pay taxes on the earnings that they receive as a partner, essentially, but it's a much lower tax rate than a personal income tax rate. Is, is, that, is that an apt description? That's correct. Yeah. It's not zero, but it is significantly less. Right. So, you know, when it's going to that bucket, you know, you can still, you, you can still make all the managerial decisions you need to make. So, all right. Well, that, so that's amazing. And then, so it has all these side benefits. And then, you know, this is a question that I've never uh, asked your dad. Uh, and we have talked to Barnhart. We've got an episode in where we talked with Barnhart about how he decides where to go with the money. And he's got these six committees, six different regions of the world. Uh, now, your family founded Ho, so I know that's a big place, but I would assume it's not the only giving that's done. How, do, how does your family or company divvy up the giving? Yeah, absolutely. It, we are incredibly passionate about what Hope has done, not because yeah, it's, dad founded it. It's, right. we, are, we go and see the work. I just went and... Uh, to Dominican Republic a few uh, weeks ago with, I brought my wife, my four kids. We actually brought a whole group from Keystone along and got to see it firsthand. And so we're incredibly passionate about the leveraged opportunities to make a difference uh, for uh, those that don't have as many opportunities as we do. For the company, what we've done is saying, hey, we have this, we have a match. If you give a dollar, We'll match it with $2 and it'll be, it'll turn into three when we're giving it away. So we have this program we call Key Match. And that is one way that we help instead of having, I don't know if we're as smart as, you know, the, the Barnhart's. So it's figuring all that out is, is pretty intense. Well, we pretty set up a, for you guys. I mean, yeah. We just set up a really simple program of saying, yeah. Hey, if you believe in it and we have criteria that it has to meet. Yeah. It's got to meet a certain level of criteria, but we said, hey, you, you believe in it, you're passionate about it, you give your money away to it, and we'll double it. And uh, so that's, you know, that's a way that we're- Okay, so if they put a dollar in, and now they get to pick where it, what nonprofit it goes to. It doesn't have to go to Hope, or does it? That's right. That's right. Okay. It does not need to go to Hope. It has to match a few different- Yeah, yeah some key deals. Okay, there's a screen for it, but, but as long as it, it hits that screen, they put in a dollar, you'll put in two- Wow, that's cool. Double man. You're basically tripling. Right. You're basically tripling your donation. Right. Mm -hmm. And is there a dollar limit on that? 
Yeah, there is a there is an upper limit. Yeah, um, and I think it's maybe ten thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, if they put ten in, I mean, you put twenty in. Yes. Yeah, that's thirty thousand dollars unlocked. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Okay, so is that most of it, or now is there also a corporate portion that just gets allocated, sort of that corporate the hope and other things? Exactly. Yeah, that's how we. That's how we operate. So that's a smaller coalition programs. The corporate program, maybe the, who's on that committee? Is it just family on that committee? Yeah. So according to the National Christian Foundation, like Ross, it, it's got to be three people that are kind of voting on that. But yeah, we're making that decision of saying where we're going. And for us, man, when we know what's happening at Hope, we understand, you know, where it is, what's happening, how it's led. Etc. And you know that's you know that's where we've made the decision right now. It's like, hey, we're going to be putting our focus there. Yeah. Okay. Love it. All right. Can you give us just a sense? Your dad always asks these questions, which is the only reason I'm comfortable asking you this question. Give us a sense of the size of the business. Yeah. <laughs> so we closed about 525 homes last year. So it's a yeah we're. Uh, mid-sized home building business, uh, and we are operating in Pennsylvania, Maryland, and uh, North Carolina. Gotcha. And the average home sale is what? what what's the average? yeah about seven hundred thousand? Yeah. So yeah. So they're not small starter homes. I mean, no, we're building uh, large semi-custom homes, and yeah, these are. Yeah, certainly the price point has raised and you know, we've moved a little bit up market strategically over the last few years uh, and the real estate market has certainly increased uh, in price as well. What, what is the target profitability? Is it 20%? Is it 10%? Is it 5%? What, what are the margins typically for a home builder? Yeah. So a margin, like if you're looking at a, a publicly traded yeah. home builder, you'd be looking at like 20 to 23% gross margins, uh, somewhere around there. Uh, and that's gross yeah. before yeah before your uh, internal uh, costs. Okay. Yep. So one thing that I want to kind of have you do is maybe summarize this whole idea. Now you sort of talked about how you didn't have this entitlement, parents made you work, this sort of thing. But you, you made a comment before we started recruit, uh, uh, recording that you. This was just kind of the normal course of business to give away the business. Why do you think that was for you? You maybe just kind of a summary. I think we've kind of gotten the hints, but I just want you to kind of maybe summarize that. And then, and then how do you think about communicating to your kids and creating that same environment? Yeah. Well, that's a good, yeah, good question, Jeff. I, this is just the environment that we were, it's like a fish doesn't know that it's swimming in the water. Right. And it's, this is the environment that we talked about. This was not something my parents said, okay, now kids, we're going to sit down and talk about generosity. Uh, (laughs) This is just something we were doing. We are actively doing, we're actively a part of day in and day out. And so just became an environment. It was like imprinted on our brains. And um, and that's something that I was very appreciative of my parents about. Uh, so it was not like a left turn when they said, oh yeah, we're going to give away the business. Yeah. What, where did that come from? Right. This was just a natural end point to the way that we've been, you know, operating and we've had found a solution to be able to do that. But this was a natural end point of how we've always, we had always thought about things. 
And then when you're thinking about, like, I know you just got back from a family trip to Israel and you took your young kids yeah, in the Dominican Republic, you mentioned. So again, it doesn't, we were talking, you know, it's not like you have some great master plan with your wife to, okay, you know, on this day, we're going to have these conversations. You're just including them. How, how would you describe the environment you're trying to uh, build for your kid? Yeah. Something that I saw when I was a kid and specifically in Ukraine, we went to Ukraine a dozen times and I got to see kids just like me, seeing gifts, talents, abilities that I did, but they were living in vastly different circumstances. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that they had done to do that. And so I didn't need anybody to, I didn't need to take a course on it. I didn't yeah. need to take you know, a class, read a book. Right. Yeah, I saw it with my own eyes and, you know, experienced it. And I view my kids in the same way. I've got four kids, you know, three, five, seven, and nine right now. And we took them to Dominican Republic with us, all of them. We took them to uh, Israel with us, they had different types of trips. But when you get to see how the rest of the world lives, you get to experience it. There's no amount of talking about it that's going to have the same impact. Oh man, that is so good. Just come and see, you know, uh, I think that's a perfect segue maybe into, you know, the, the last question we always ask is, you know, we always, we talked before we started recording, like, you know, you and I are just having lunch and it's not only do this for a living. We're just doing this to inspire other people on how to maybe use their business platform uh, for impact and, and, you know, we always try to leave them like, okay, this is amazing, but, you know, my my parents didn't start a business. I, I don't have those same advantages. Or maybe they do, but the conversations are weird. So, you know, we just ask for a practical tip. If they wake up tomorrow, maybe they're in a family business and they're struggling with that. It could be related to that. Or maybe it's just a general entrepreneur who's trying to do it bad. However, you're led to answer this question. What would the, just a practical tip that when they wake up tomorrow or as soon as they get to work today, what, what could they do a little bit differently or think a little bit more about? Yeah. You know, we've, we talked a lot about the impact it had on me, the impact it had on dad, but we have a 165 employees mm. and at Keystone and for 165 employees and they could, there was, we'd always you believe this, the end of verse about don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. Yeah. Right? And so we never really talked about, we talked about hope, but we never really talked about the generosity and the peace and our involvement in that. But making that more visible to the team and giving them this idea. And we talk about purpose beyond profit. I don't think there's a whole lot of people that want to show up to work every day to just enrich the owner so they can buy another beach house. Right. Yeah, and so for us, so like making that visible for the rest of the team, I think that's my tip of saying, hey, give people. I they talk a lot about millennials or the you know Gen Z wants something that is uh, a higher purpose. I think yeah. all people want that. Yes, they want to. <laughs> that's not just a like a millennial thing. They want to have something that's bigger than themselves. And so we've had that unique opportunity here, but I think for other people inside of their own context, give people something that they can think about and look for that's something that's bigger than themselves. If I rephrase, is it, is it fear if I, if I categorize that as let your employees in on it? Yeah. yeah. You know, 
even if you're not giving away the whole company now, the things you're doing, uh, let them in on it so that they can participate and feel a part of, of that. Is that is that kind of the vein you're thinking of? Absolutely. And it, yeah. We started bringing our team. We've just changed this to every any employee that's been with us for three years or more, free trip to Dominican Republic, the trip I just referenced, we got back from 10 years or more, we go to Africa. The whole point is, I mean, those are cool trips. We stay in a resort, you see the world. But the whole point is that they're let in on it, as you mentioned, is that they can see the work that, not the work that I'm doing, not the work that Jeff's doing, not the, even though like it's the work that they are doing. You are part of this. You are doing something that has meaning that's going to make an impact. Yeah. Include the employees and not just maybe in the talking about it, but going to see it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's awesome. So just like you want to give, just like you learn from seeing it and you're teaching your kids for them seeing it, they're probably not going to remember what you said, but they'll remember the trips. You got to take the employees too. I think that's, that's a fantastic idea. Mm. Well, Ben, this has been a lot of fun. I know we could go for uh, uh, a lot more time, but this is one of the hot questions we get is, you know, in the family business, uh, this generous, how, how does that happen uh, with the kids? So I know greater things are in store for uh, Keystone with you involved. So anyway, thanks for uh, joining us today, Ben. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Okay. Thanks everybody for tuning in to this week's Generous Business Owner Podcast. Please uh, leave us your ratings and reviews and share it with your friends and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.